We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. It's Lindsay Rhodes, and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Here is your 2020 Phoenix Suns offseason recap. There was nothing normal about the end of the 2019-2020 season. I'm Scott Van Pelt here at ESPN. This this astounding and unprecedented story continues to evolve. Uh, at halftime with Adrian Wojnarowski, I suggested that, that we would speak to him soon. I had no idea that it would be this soon. He has just tweeted within the past two minutes that the NBA is suspending the season. I say that understanding that as we speak, the game in Dallas is continuing. Ryan Rucco in Dallas, the game is continuing. Ryan, Due to an unprecedented pandemic, the season was suspended on March 11th, 2020, with no clear indication that it would be finished anytime soon. NBA fans and NBA organizations sat in waiting while the league reviewed every option to finish the season and declare a champion. In the meantime, Phoenix Suns podcasters did podcasts about Goran Dragic, Eric Bledsoe, and Isaiah Thomas while considering episodes about Air Bud and Coach Carter. Rumors of options swirled. Will the NBA season be canceled entirely? Will the playoffs begin now? Are the Suns done until next season? Then, the bubble was born. The NBA inviting 22 teams to Orlando. This is what the plan will look like. 13 Western Conference, 9 Eastern Conference, 8 regular season games per team. Play in for the 8 seeds, July 31st to October 12th. The vote will The Phoenix Suns were going to Disney World. The Suns were one of the 22 teams chosen to go to the bubble, and I personally came onto this podcast and said, 
The Suns' only chance of making the playoffs is if they go 8-0, and even then it's out of their hands. Little did I know, they plan to do exactly that. They bring the double at Booker. Book on the spin. Fires for the win! Got it! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, now you do. He is ridiculous. Okay. The Phoenix Suns won every single game in the bubble and left it as the only undefeated team. Unfortunately, the playoffs were out of their hands, and a missed game-winning attempt by Karis LeVert sealed their fate and sent them home. But only after truly making a name for themselves, Devin Booker was second in MVP votes in the bubble and a unanimous choice for bubble first team, and Coach Monty Williams won Coach of the Bubble. The playoffs continued without the Suns, culminating with winning the title, and now the offseason had finally and actually begun. With a future All-NBA player, a respected coach, and a team on the rise, the Suns entered the offseason as one of the most interesting teams with enough cap space and flexibility to make some significant moves. First was the draft lottery. Pick number 10 will be made by the Phoenix Suns. Because only the records pre-bubble counted, the Suns kept their slightly better lottery odds and slipped into the top 10 of the draft. Thus began the tradition of Suns fans arguing over players that James Jones didn't even consider. Names like Halliburton, Vassell, and Lewis Jr. come to mind. The Suns were attached to many players with their cap space, Fred Van Vliet, Davis Bertans, Jeremy Grant, and more. In the middle of all this, Suns legend Steve Nash was surprisingly hired as the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. He also added assistants Amari Stoudemire and Mike D'Antoni. Good luck, Steve. Speaking of coaches, the Suns assistant coaches Darko Ryakovic and Steve Blake were replaced by Brian Randall and Kevin Young. During all of this, debates were raging about the future of the Suns. Should they keep Oubre? Is Rubio the long-term point guard? Is Fred Van Vliet even an option? All while I quietly said Chris Paul is the best option. A bald man on a dying podcast even made up a rumor about Devin Booker wanting out of Phoenix and that being the worst kept secret, to which, to Suns fans' credit, we all promptly ignored. Rumors were swirling leading up to the draft, escalated by a Woj bomb that said the Suns had discussed a trade with OKC for a certain 10-time All-Star. Then, finally, while we all waited with bated breath, it happened. The big one, Chris Paul is headed to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, he'll go on a multiplayer deal from Oklahoma City. And now the Suns and Robert Sarver in the Western Conference, they become a real factor in this Western Conference race. Devin Booker very much wanted Chris Paul. The Suns did it. They actually did it. They traded a package of Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, and a future protected pick for one of the greatest point guards of all time. Now the Suns offseason is coming into focus and the playoffs are on the table. Now to set that table around Chris Paul and Devin Booker. First, the draft. With the 10th pick in the 2020 NBA draft, the Phoenix Suns select Jalen Smith from the University of Maryland. In a surprise pick, the Suns picked a forward slash center in Jalen Smith. They also signed Creighton guard Tyshawn Alexander as an undrafted free agent. 
Free agency happened quickly after that and the Suns wasted no time signing power forward Jay Crowder just off a run to the NBA Finals. They followed that up by re-signing Javon Carter and Dario Saric and signing sharpshooters Langston Galloway and Etuan Moore and center Damian Jones. They also let Elliot Kobo go. The Suns have a squad now. The NBA season dates have been set. The expectations are high and the Suns have multiple stars. And here is your 2020-2021 Timeline Podcast Phoenix Suns Season Preview. Realistically. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Very, very excited to preview one of the most exciting Suns seasons in a very long time. My name is Mike. As always, I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I am good. Thank you very much for asking. Um, I am also excited to preview, and we brought in just the guest to do it this week, I think, a guy who has been around the new fancy arena um, yeah. and hopefully can can tell us some information about it. Yes, a friend of ours, I would say, uh, writer for ArizonaSports.com, uh, frequent contributor on 98.7 Arizona Sports Radio, host of the Empire of the Suns podcast, Kellen Olson. Kellen, how are you doing? What's up? Doing well. We are we are Twitter friends at the very, very least, and I think we are certified <laughs> friends at this point. I think this is our third year doing this, like, I don't know if this specific podcast, but I remember talking to you guys from yeah. Flagstaff at least once, maybe twice. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, probably our third year, definitely our third year doing some sort of podcast together. Um, you know, it's a weird season starting in December. <laughs> it's definitely yeah. different than, than yeah, normal. Definitely. Happy to be here, though. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, I'm very happy to have you specifically because you're one of the only people in the entire world that has now seen Chris Paul play on the Suns. Uh, in person, I believe, right? Did you did you go to the Chris Paul game, or you have not seen Chris Paul yet? Uh, so we were allowed to go to the game on Friday, so I, I have not actually seen him in person play. But what I will give you in terms of like a tease for talking about the arena and seeing a game in person, if you are one of the people who thinks that they are just pulling clips to make it look like Chris Paul is doing leadership things, wait until you see him in person if he's not playing, <laughs> because every time out he was talking to someone, mostly DeAndre, but just... Man, he's like he's all over the place. Yeah, that's actually it's no surprise we we had some guys from the OK that cover the OKC Thunder on our podcast talking about Chris Paul and that's basically all they talked about. This guy is constantly in leadership mode, constantly working on the guys uh, in OKC it sounded like SGA was the guy that he really took under his wing to try and mentor him and it seems like so far the guy that he's focusing on in Phoenix is DeAndre Ayton and I think for us you know for fans and people who cover the team that's kind of what I would want obviously Devin Booker has done pretty well on his own and he's a sponge he'll pick up from everybody that he plays with even without that sort of extra mentorship that comes with it but for DeAndre Ayton he's young and in his third season and now facing pretty steep expectations for a young guy a lot different than what the expectations were for Devin Booker's third season you know for comparison's sake but I think that's exciting to see that he's doing that you were in the arena 
I do want to talk about this. We're going to get to some of the biggest questions that we have for the Suns this season. But before we get to that, what was your impression of the arena? None of us, I mean, some of us have taken tours. I haven't done that yet. Uh, How did it look? What was the court like? Uh, It was great. So I got a tour on Tuesday, and and I believe that I I got a little bit more than what some season ticket holders have been seeing because I, I got to go actually on the event level and see... Uh, and see the court up close. Uh, I posted like a bunch of photos and videos. So if you're listening and like want to see for yourself, like that my Twitter thread that entire day should have you covered in terms of what I saw. Um, it is it is really impressive. I, I found myself I, I kept turning to uh, the Suns employee Michael Ramirez, who was taking us around on the tour, um, who was very nice to seek me out and uh, find me for the tour. I just kept telling him like, man, you guys, you guys killed it. This is just really impressive. The the pavilion is awesome it looks great and it's just sometimes it feels like you don't you want a place like that to be cool right you don't want it to feel like a manufactured place where it's like you have to hang out here and like this is the place to be and you you want it to kind of have like it's pure kind of own atmosphere i guess and it just feels like a place where it's going to be very natural for that because people can i don't know what time exactly they're going to open doors still probably 90 minutes before like they normally do or whatever but I, I can very much picture like that being the spot for people to be at at like 6, 6.30 before a 7 o'clock tip-off or whatever. The pavilion looks great. Um, the screen is gigantic. I, I tweeted this that uh, walking around on Tuesday, I didn't really get a great scope for how much bigger it was until I sat down in the seat that I normally sit in um, while I'm watching the games because that is the seat where I'm always looking up, looking up, looking up. I don't actually have to tilt my head anymore. <laughs> the screen's so big <laughs> that I just have to like kind of like move my eyes up a little bit. I actually don't have to like crank it uh, up there. I it's it's very impressive. The theater lighting looks so good, and like I, I saw Chris Hansen kind of tweeted this. That it legitimately does look like a different arena when you see some of the pictures with the theater lighting. That really does make. Um, a big difference and they're not gonna lie it's just if you if you've been to games like five or ten or even one um and i'm sure there are people listening who have been to like dozens uh like me especially growing up you're just gonna notice like the substantial differences everywhere i i joked at halftime but was being serious like i went to the bathroom and yo the new bathrooms are really nice um <laughs> Like uh, we have better chairs at the media uh, seating now. It, it's all um, it's That's it's nice all of them. super nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of like any other like intricate details. I will say that I'm interested to see how Wednesday is because I had a headache driving home because the music was so loud. I think Mike, you were the one who replied hmm. to me and said, yeah. "My goodness, they're blasting it." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Well, they, they, usually there's fifteen thousand people in here talking, yeah. and they aren't anymore. Yeah. So maybe they can turn it down a little bit. I understand. <laughs> and they bodies don't. absorb sound. It's not you know, it's not even just the fact that there's not people talking. Bodies actually absorb sound. Now it's just bouncing around. Y'all want to hear about science? We're about to pivot this podcast real quick. We're just gonna break all that down. No, it's. I understand, like, the whole mantra is there, Luka Doncic sing from the bubble. Like, they don't want us to hear what the players are saying for very obvious reasons. And, like, I I understand unfortunate. Like, wh- why it's happening. But it's uh, exactly for nerds like us, it's it's super unfortunate. And I just want to hear – I just want to hear Monty, like, call out plays from the sidelines so I can tell David Nash right. what they're called because he just makes up <laughs> his own names at this point. But, uh, yeah, I it, so that part kind of sucks. But I hope they turned it down a little bit because I legitimately did have a headache driving home and then kind of realized that, like, I'm not much of a concert goer. I'm sure you guys are for sure. I know both of you are like very, very big into music. Um, mm-hmm. 
but like my my like not ears ringing but like my head hurt and then i remembered like they just did not stop playing the music like every time there was a break in in the action music just because again they didn't want us to hear much i did hear chris paul scream though once or twice so <laughs> here's, no, here's no, what i'm curious no about of music can drown that out here's what i'm curious about from your vantage point as like one of the only people no fans allowed inside the game for now so so for now you guys in the media will be some of the only ones in there does it feel like a competitive space you know, like with the players there, does it feel like a real game or did it kind of just feel like a... I mean, I know it's preseason, but but did it kind of feel more like a scrimmage in some ways? It felt like a regular game to me. Um, I will say that I think this might have been preseason too, but I noticed in the bubble, I think the benches are just a little bit more loose. Um, I think they're like uh, like willing to like goof around a bit. I can't remember who fell. Um it might have been KCP on the Lakers bench who like uh not on the Lakers bench but in the opposite corner of the Lakers bench on that side of the court like KCP took a fall and Alex Caruso like sprinted to go help him and then KCP just got up and ran off and like didn't even say anything to Caruso so Caruso like kind of sarcastically turned around and slowly jogged back to the Lakers bench and they were all clapping and stuff and it's just that kind of stuff I think is a lot more organic and easier to do when there isn't this hyper intense element of the crowd and and that kind of stuff so i think we're going to see a little bit more of that but in terms of like the competitiveness and stuff i mean i thought it was all there devin was not i don't want to say getting into it with the lakers bench but he was saying stuff back and forth from what i could tell um from my spot but all of that was there Uh, i will say that for me as someone who is like seen already like dozens of games from that point and like way more uh from like the vantage point of a fan that there were very few moments where I was actually like drawn out by how there weren't there weren't fans, I guess. And I think that, that had a lot to do with the music and, and, and like the the right. and all that stuff to be honest. There was just so much noise all the time. <laughs> and right. I was just really focused on the game too. But the I, I tweeted out when the guys came out of the, the they come out of different tunnels now, but also just like Vince having to do, Let's hear it for your and it's like he's talking to like no one. <laughs> Uh, and then the the uh, the anthem was weird, and then the starting lineups were the starting lineups were the weirdest because they actually like piped in some uh, fake crowd noise there, which I tweeted. <laughs> that was weird. But other than that, no, it felt pretty normal. And I honestly think that you guys would agree, and I think anyone who's like been to a game or two would kind of agree with me. I'm not just saying just because I've been to dozens of games, I'm like um, just so used to being at NBA games. I think every anyone else would generally feel the same. Uh, it's re- it's quite impressive. Uh, but, yeah. but we'll see like 20, 30 games. And if I feel differently, maybe I will. I mean, at home, I'll say this at home. First of all, the Suns did a good job with, I think the fake crowd noise. It wasn't distracting in any way. Yeah. I just forgot about it pretty quickly that it was different. You know, basketball is basketball ultimately. And it appeared like, especially in the first quarter of that Lakers game, the Suns were going a hundred, hundred percent. It felt like, and once that's happening, everything else just kind of goes away. I, I don't really pay attention to the stands or anything. So for me, it felt real. It felt like the NBA again. I will say shout out to whoever runs the arena music for keeping DMX alive uh, because I feel like every time I'm in that arena, I hear that y'all going to make me lose my mind song uh, 15 times. And I feel bad for you hearing that at full volume in Dude, an empty arena. <laughs> That's I, a bizarre experience. I didn't even tweet it, um, but I had the same thought of like, I'm used to hearing the same songs all, yeah. all the time. Yeah. And whoever the new guy is killing it in my book. Um, 
He played a lot more Uzi for me, which which is big and just made me sad that <laughs> Kelly wasn't there because he's a big Uzi guy too. And they yeah. finally started playing him a ton and he's gone. But no, like it was like just all of these songs from like when I was like middle school and stuff. I could tell that it was someone like around my age group specifically and just, yeah. So uh, when fans are allowed back in, we're going to have better music, I think. That, that's another oh, inside sight, inside line I can take. It. Just <laughs> my right. I love that. Opinion. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm hoping that I get to be there and see a game by the end of the season. It would be a bizarre thing if Chris Paul's on the team and there's no fans in the arena the entire year. So I hope at some point we get to get in there and uh, and see that team in person. So let's cover. We have five things that we want to cover, five big questions for this season. And obviously there's a lot to talk about this season, and I think it's going to be a fascinating one. And I think it'll be fun for guys like us who cover the team to cover team with really high expectations but with those expectations come very specific questions for this team uh we sent you the list we'll we'll start with the eight and one here i think this is a conversation that's going to be going on we already started it i mean we already talked about chris paul uh mentoring ayton on the sidelines and the question is will deandre ayton take another leap and i think even beyond that because this is the last season before DeAndre Ayton becomes extension eligible, there is a question about whether or not he will be worthy of a max contract extension. Rudy Gobert, somebody who is not as skilled as DeAndre Ayton offensively, but is a defensive player of the year level player, obviously. He's won it before in the past. Just signed a contract that basically averages out to $41 million a year. A massive contract for Rudy Gobert, which I think shines a little bit of a spotlight on DeAndre Ayton because a lot of his value now is coming on the defensive end. So the question is, will DeAndre Ayton take a leap? What do you think about DeAndre Ayton's season going forward, uh, Kellen? Oh, man. Uh, it's a it's a difficult question because I believe that he has taken a leap in both of his seasons so far. Um, I'm not sure if I was on your guys' podcast before that draft, but... I I think his defensive improvement from U of A to year one was even bigger than the one that he took from year one to year two. So to give perspective, that's to give perspective to people who have seen all the games he's played for the Suns, but maybe only saw like highlights or just like one or two games at Arizona. His his defense was so rough at Arizona, and by the end of his rookie year, like he was actually like where he needed to be as a rookie, <clears throat> which was just like I did not expect that at all. I thought he was going to be way way behind. Um, so I think that he has actually made leaps now um, in, in two straight goes. So for me, that would usually lead me to believe and say that I believe that the next leap is coming. But I don't exactly know what what exactly to like turn the uh, the conversation to kind of Sam for a second. Is there anything specifically, Sam, <laughs> that you think that qualifies for a leap for him that isn't just the consistency engagement mentality thing that we always talk about with him is there actually something where it's another part of his defense like are, are we including threes in the conversation because i don't because that's where i keep coming back to and that's why i hesitate to say yes because until yeah. we get that part proven but at the same time make the case for me i guess that they're like maybe he's just a little bit better defensively and he's more efficient offensively like what do you see it being if, if it could be that a mix yeah i mean i don't really know i explicitly there's probably not all that much that we're looking for in year three, right? Like, if you're just looking at a basic... Uh, to, to give you an example, I'm looking at his stats right here. I know it's preseason, but per 36, DeAndre just averaged 18 and 14 
uh, in the preseason, right? So, so like, and and this is a guy who had a total dud of a game uh, against the Jazz. So it's always been about that effort and consistency, and and not really anything so much on the stat sheet. I guess the one thing you could point to on a stat sheet where it's like we're hoping for a leap out of him in year three is getting to the free throw line. But you need touches to get to the free throw line, and yeah. I, I I don't know. I mean, I just don't know if he's going to be put in too many of those opportunities this year next to Paul and Booker. I I will say. I did think some of the stuff we saw in the later slate of games against LA was very encouraging. We did see him take a, a couple of dribbles multiple times, and and you know that's the sort of stuff that we need to see from him consistently on the offensive end. But overall, offensively this year, I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again a hundred times. I'd mostly just be happy if he catches lobs because I think that's and runs the floor hard in transition because that's how the Suns are going to be the the, the best right. team this year. Right. Defensively. I, I mean, I think you already nailed it, Kellen. It's just all about the implicit kind of stuff. Um, Mike and I just released this this big, long DeAndre Ayton video on our YouTube channel, and we basically talked about it. Like, he he trapped and switched so much more in year two than he did in year one. His athleticism was just, it was obvious. It was obvious that this is a guy who can go further than someone like Rudy Gobert in terms of you can play him in any type of defensive scheme, and that's going to be great towards projecting his future value for the Suns. But can he actually be an anchor? I don't know. I mean, he, he's got a pretty long way to go in terms of being like a uniting piece that you expect out of a, a, a true defensive anchor. Right. I I, I think I think Sam put it exactly the, the way that, I was kind of looking for in terms of when I when I asked the question. So I, I'm I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm torn uh, to give like an answer, and I and I will give one. I'm not going to cop out or anything. I'll say that to kind of unfairly look at the bubble. The case that I keep making from the bubble is that, in my opinion, now people might have been seeing the games differently, but in my opinion, he was not one of the, their three best players in Orlando, and I would even argue that he wasn't one of their four best players in Orlando throughout all those games. Wow. I, I wouldn't argue he was, he was in the top four. I think Rubio, Booker, Mikel, and Sarge played better than him over the course of those games, and that's why I lean towards no and why I'm probably going to say no here um, because I just think it has so much to do with engagement, effort, activity level, and stuff. That is saying all of that though without factoring in the Chris Paul factor and I really do think that that matters enough so I am actually going to say yes to kind of give the whole <laughs> to give the whole um, push that there. lasted so, long yeah I know so I lasted in no for like 30 seconds I just think that even if he isn't like what we think he should be by the end of his third year will he get better with playing by like playing with Chris Ball, I I think so. I think another leap, eh, but I I want to lean yes right. just because he has improved two straight years in, in a pretty great degree, and now he's playing playing with Chris Paul, and I know that's like a very obvious trope and narrative and all that kind of stuff, but it's because it's true. <laughs> I don't know what else, what else to say. I Sam and I I think are all season are going to be talking about how. DeAndre Ayton's stats, uh, what we see in the box score, don't even ma- they don't really matter at all, and how how much of an impact he can make without necessarily increasing those stats at least dramatically. Obviously, I'd like to see more free throw attempts. The rebounds, I think, could go up Re- a little bit more. Rebounds do matter. I think yeah. that's the one thing that matters because because the way this roster is constructed, if he's not getting rebounds, nobody is. Right. So that's like the one thing yeah. I would be like, yeah, I do want Aiton to get his 13, 14 rebounds a game. But right. but the rest of it, yeah, throw it out the window. It, it is interesting, though, that you talk about effort and consistency and how important that is. 
uh, for him because ultimately that's on him. That's something that he has to focus on. But I'm not look. I'm not one of those guys who says we can learn nothing from preseason. I do think we can learn nothing from preseason wins or losses. That doesn't ultimately matter. Guys are playing. Some guys aren't. Some teams are giving more effort than others. Minutes are all over the place. Lineups are all out of whack. And then all of the garbage time guys play almost the entire fourth quarter. So, yeah, maybe wins and losses don't mean anything. But if anything that we've learned with DeAndre and it does seem like a lot of the responsibility on keeping him engaged has now fallen onto his teammates with Chris Paul staying on him, with Devin Booker staying on him. Monty Williams called him out. We talked about it last week on this podcast. Monty Williams called him out after a game, which is about as aggressive as Monty Williams gets, and that's him saying that if he's in shape, he's going to dominate. That's a call-out. That's Monty's version of a call-out. So it's a little unfortunate that at this point, that is still something that that responsibility is falling onto other people because ideally you wouldn't need other people to constantly keep him engaged. But I still think a lot of it has to do with conditioning. I don't think that Monty Williams said that for no reason. Once he gets tired, a lot of his decision-making gets a little bit lazy. And he needs to be in shape, ultimately. And that's something that does fall on him as well. So we'll see how well he does in keeping it up. I do think that another leap is possible, but I don't. I do think it's all on the margins at this point. It's just being a little bit more engaged on every possession defensively, fighting through being tired. We saw him do that in that Lakers game, the first game with Chris Paul. He was exhausted. We saw it, but he was exhausted because he was fighting through that extra wall, and that takes a lot of mental focus. Um, I, I do want to ask you, Kellen, though, before Chris Paul was on the Suns, you were it seemed like you were kind of on the side of Chris Paul might um, kill DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> he might be a little too much for DeAndre Ayton to handle. It sounds like you've, you're kind of more on the side of that Chris Paul will be good for DeAndre Ayton ultimately. Did something change there or did I misread how you felt about it initially? No, I'm still worried. Still worried. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but what does is, what is he's going to kill him mean? In the context of an actual season, like what's he really going to do to him? Uh, some someone put this. I'm I'm forgetting who. So many tweets I see. I, someone put this in a really good way, but it basically was like, is there a certain point where, for lack of a better word here, and, and they put it better than what I'm about to say, but he actually breaks him, and he actually <laughs> be. I, I'm and I'm being serious. He actually breaks him to the point where we actually get disengaged DeAndre more than engaged DeAndre. Like, there's actually he, he more... He quamifies him, like a Kwame Brown type. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, to make even more people horrified of this conversation. Yes, let's let's bring up Kwame Brown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, This is not going to happen. Can we just say, like, come on. Yeah, I don't think it is either. Oh, okay. It's not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> okay Kellen's I, obviously a little bit worried. Look, I, I think Chris I Paul can, is... Yeah, so I can yeah. just I can just speak from being around DeAndre um, for most of the games that he's played in in Phoenix, and just hearing him talk a lot, and just hearing how the other guys have talked about him year to year, and you guys have been like in the same boat and, and picking up on what what uh, I and other reporters have been tweeting, and now the Suns have been good this year about like posting all the videos and stuff, so you guys can see the full context of what everyone's saying. Um, I just there there needs to be like a, a switch sort of where um 
I don't know what other word to use for it, but like the, the maturity, I, I guess. I, I don't really mm-hmm. know what else to what else to call it. I am not going to now. People are going to think that I'm calling gender immature and all these kinds of things. That that's not what I'm trying to say. But I think that there is definitely like a a permanent switch that is flipped for guys when they are 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever, that gets flipped like in in their mid to late 20s as as someone who is extremely, extremely immature at 18 and 19 and 20 years old. I can heavily relate to being one of those people. I was (laughs) way more immature than DeAndre and I was not um, disciplined enough to to be in that physical of shape and be that good at something. So like (laughs) I'm the last person to say that, but with that being said i just think that until we see that change and and i think that deandre has gotten himself in this really weird space with a lot of suns fans where people dread anytime he's going to talk like whenever i say deandre is going to talk today people are like oh god what is he going to say today because like i i genuinely see, did i was not memeing when i tweeted out that he was working out four days a week in the off season i just thought people wanted to hear that and i, I love it i didn't i i thought people were i've gotten like to the it. point I've gotten to the point where I do love it, Kellen. I really do like it, but I like it because I don't take it seriously. Okay. And Isn't that a bad thing, why, though? That's, yes, that's it is, yes, it is. <laughs> but there's is... nuance to the conversation. Here's all I want to say. If we're talking about DeAndre Ayton next year, when we're thinking about paying him a max contract, then yes, the maturity issues, they are undeniable and they scare me. If we're talking about this year and purely this year and what DeAndre Ayton needs to do to be the third best player in a very good Suns team... I don't know. I just think, like, yes, he approaches the game differently than Paul and Booker do. That is a fact. But I think he has such an insulated kind of support system between Monty, between Chris Paul, who admittedly is an intense character, but I think will be good for him, and Devin Booker. There aren't going to be any jerk-offs who are just, like, fooling around with him at practice. Like, everyone's going to be pushing this guy. So I I think he does have it in him. He definitely created the right environment. But it's still up to him. So in the same way where today I didn't explain for the fifth time why Monty is saying what he's saying about Dario, it's like Monty is just going to say what he's going to say, which is it, it got to a point, I think after the game, where Monty was like, look, he's day-to-day. We'll see over the next couple of days. That's all I'm going to say. Like it, That's basically what he said. So in the same way that I didn't need to like, I didn't feel the need to like explain that again today, that that's what the situation is. He's day-to-day. We'll see. That's all we're going to get. I do not need to tweet every single time DeAndre has said it's over for the league. We're about to, like, you guys have seen the amount of times he has said that. I have not tweeted every time he has said it, but he has already said it enough. And it's just those types of examples over and over again lead you to believe that you can have questions about someone's maturity. You guys um, and some people listening have, have, like, listened to my podcast and see my takes. Not that I really do not like getting into this part of conversations where we're talking about people's psyche and, like, do they really have it? Do they really want it? All this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, strictly from that part of uh, covering a team, I have enough concerns about, I guess I'll just say it, enough concerns about his maturity to wonder if a leader in Chris Paul's style will get the most out of him to where DeAndre um, will lay a ball in and I immediately look over to the bench to see what Jay Crowder does. Like, you know you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's what I was doing during that game. And then right. when, he, when he dunked the ball, he pointed to Chris Paul sitting next to him on the bench and pointed at him and, and probably said, that's what I'm talking about. He needs to do that. And, and that's that's the kind of entire, like, the Chris Paul breaking him or whatever kind of part of the conversation that's what I'm basically getting at. It's like, is he going to lose guys like Jay Crowder 
like Javon, who he was getting in an, in an argument with on the court uh, two preseason games, three preseason games ago. Like, is he eventually going to lose his teammates because of the way he, that he plays in a way like a center who probably should make the Hall of Fame because of the way he played in Orlando for five years, but he's mm, had a very yeah. up-and-down career since. That's been the very... I don't want to say scary comparison because Dwight was awesome. Like the best. I mean, that's a Hall of Fame comparison, a, so it's not scary to me. But yeah, I know made the finals. Saying. Yeah, yeah, it's not scary. He was a he was the best center in the league, one of the five best players in the league for five to seven years. Was an incredible defensive player. But I'm saying, in terms of strictly like the way that he got along with his teammates. Oh yeah. How much? Was, how much better? This. How much better would Dwight's legacy be? Yeah. The, how much better this, would Dwight's legacy be if he just took care of his body and and a, didn't pick fights? It's a really great it's a really great point and also like just it's the same pattern that we kind of the vibe we got from Dwight teams, you know? That's what we've gotten so far here. That's what that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I think that that's probably even more of a pressing question as far as how that how their relationship will go throughout the season than uh the one that we picked for this podcast because you're right. And I think for a lot of people who are maybe wondering why we talk about DeAndre Ayton like this, he's so young, expectations are different, all of that, just compare how we talk about DeAndre Ayton to how we talk about Devin Booker. This conversation that we're having, we would have never had about Devin Booker because we really never had to. He's always put in the work. He's always come in shape. He, he has the right attitude at every moment, which is fine. DeAndre Ayton can still be good, and this team can still be great with him on it. Like I've talked about before, DeAndre Ayton as your third best player is a better scenario than DeAndre Ayton as your second best player. Um, you know, or if you're Kellen Olsen, fifth or sixth best player. <laughs> Don't get him in trouble. Don't get him in trouble. <laughs> Sorry, Kellen. <laughs> they were but awesome. They won every they won every single game. Right. Dario was right. incredible in those games. Mikel, like well, you was. guys, I mean, you guys of all people, Mikel, come on. Like how good Ricky yeah, was. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He we'll get there. We'll get there. Need he guys well. to step up. He played in, well. Please do not. I do not think Chris Paul is going to break him. Am I like five percent worried about it? A little bit. It's okay for yeah. me yeah. to say that. I think, and that's fair. And that's fair. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. 
You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's talk about the other guys actually now, uh, because I think that's another interesting question. One of the questions we chose was who will be the biggest contributor outside of the the top three, the big three, if you will, the guys who get their photo taken together on media day, which is Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton. There's a lot of guys here, and I think preseason showed some interesting stuff. I think there's some obvious candidates on who you can pick. Uh, but Kellen, what you, what do you think from what you saw and, and what you're thinking about moving forward into the season? How did you phrase the question again? Who will be the play. biggest contributor outside of those three guys? Okay, that's that's why I'm going to say Mikel. Um, I, right. Do I think that Jay Crowder and him like have very close value? And even some nights I'll say Jay's more valuable for sure. But in terms of contributions, what Mikel is capable of on both ends of the floor in terms of if you're just looking at a player's versatility and not just his set base of like glue guy things that he does on a court... I think Mikel is the more versatile of him and Cam and and and, and Jay. I, I don't think I don't think it's really close. I think that he has shown in the preseason that the off the dribble stuff, the quick trigger. I noticed immediately in the first game he played with Chris Paul, like oh he's ready to shoot. Like he's uh, there was the there was the one where he had like on the move. You guys remember that in, like semi transition in the Chris Paul yeah. game? I think it was on the, like the mm-hmm. left wing if I'm remembering yeah. it correctly. He didn't have any room. It wasn't like really a good like rhythm kind of catching situation, but he just fired it. And I think he made it. Um, and that just kind of tells you that everything is carrying over from the bubble and kind of what we saw at the end of the season. And I asked Monty today, I was like, this time a year ago, when we were asking you questions about Mikel, we were talking about, like, he needs to make a back cut or two, he needs to get a bucket in transition to kind of get himself going, and then maybe, like, his that'll get his confidence going. And it's like, he doesn't need confidence anymore at all from anything. Like, he's nope. got enough for himself. So I think that I don't... I don't want to say like he's due for like a huge breakout year by any means or anything like that, but I do think that there are going to be nights where he scores like more than 20 points. There are going to be nights where his defense quite literally is the difference in the game and it wins them a game, whether it's him shutting down like an all-star guard on the other team or it's just one of those crazy nights where he had three steals and four blocks. I I just think that he is going to have those nights more than Jay's consistent night in and night out performance because i just want to make clear like i think jay's going to be really valuable for them and good for them sam what do you think yeah i I completely agree actually i went back and forth on a few uh few ideas here like i think you could make a case for dario too yeah just with the um the playmaking role that he's going to have on the bench but i'm going to continue with mikhail for a second um continuing with the theme of me using arguably uh irrelevant preseason stats mikhail shot 14 and a half field goals uh, per game per 36 minutes, excuse me, in the preseason. That is up way, way, way up from eight and a half in the regular season last year. Like he didn't exactly shoot the lights out, but he was aggressive in preseason. He was so aggressive that that last game he was matched up against LeBron and he was taking it to LeBron. Like Obviously, there was one clip where, where um, LeBron kind of undercut him. But before that, do you guys remember Mikhail? There was this play. They were at the top of the key. Mikhail kind of jabs to his right. 
And because LeBron James is a guy who reads the scouting report and he knows Mikhail Bridges isn't going to take a pull-up three, he basically never has, he immediately falls for it. He, like, opens his body, spins around 360 degrees because he thinks Mikhail is driving to the rim. And then, no, he actually, he Mikhail turns LeBron around and while he's around, pulls up right into a top-of-the-key three. And it was, you know, it was beautiful. And we're seeing stuff like that out of Mikhail Bridges now. And, and you know, there were multiple yeah. pull-up mid-range jumpers of him snaking kind of after a pick and roll in the mid-range just like you see Chris Paul do he did that in in I think he made one basket that way in both games against Utah so yep you know I think I I don't really miss Kelly Oubre but I think inarguably he did leave this type of offensive void where it's like okay now who's going to be able to catch the ball in the perimeter and actually make a move to the basket after Chris Paul and Devin Booker I think there is now a solid argument that maybe Mikhail Bridges becomes the third most three-way type of scorer on the Suns this year and that is something I never imagined myself saying a year ago I don't think he's going to average like 18 points per game or anything but could he maybe get up to 13 14 15 I'm starting to believe that that could be a real possibility right Mikhail Bridges is the obvious answer I think for this one and I, I actually agree with you, Kellen, in that I sort of went back and forth between Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges. I actually think it's kind of funny that their three-point percentages could be around the same by the end of the year, but what's important is whatever juice that Jay Crowder has where he's not afraid to shoot every time he catches a ball, that's the juice that Mikhail Bridges needs to drink. He's got to launch it over and over and over again. And it is kind of funny that their defensive profile, like their ability to defend is so... They're both great defenders, obviously, but it, they're so different in what they're good at. Mikhail is this sort of long, skinny defender, and Jay Crowder is like this lo- low center of gravity, super strong guy that can defend stronger guys. I mean, he, he was on AD in that game. AD content to shoot, I don't know, eight or nine threes or whatever he was, whatever he ended up shooting in that last game because of Jay Crowder being on him. But they're so drastically different. And I think it's a nice situation where you have to consider which one of these two great guys will be the other contributor outside of those four. But I do want to talk about Cameron Johnson because I don't know that there's going to be an opportunity to talk about him with any of these other questions because there's some there's some Devin Booker juice going around here too because, first of all, Cameron Johnson, not afraid to run pick and rolls, seemed to be content pulling up from mid-range, which at times I don't like. But at times I'm like, well, maybe if he's really got this... Like, if he really can do this, then we got to let it happen because nobody has a cleaner shot. Nobody on the Suns has a cleaner shot than Cameron Johnson. That includes Devin Booker. Cameron Johnson, just it's just pure, pure, pure. And if you can work on that ball handling and if you can work on that playmaking just a little bit more, he can become a really interesting player. Something I've noticed is Mikhail Bridges has, uh, he had some pick and rolls where he was driving to the rim, got guys on his hip like Devin Booker, kept him on his hip and shot a short little mid-range shot. Cameron Johnson did that, had some pick and rolls, got guys on his hip and shot a short little mid-range shot. I even saw Cameron Payne do that. I do think that Devin Booker has some influence over these guys and they're seeing the way that Devin Booker scores and they're learning from that. But there was some stuff that I saw from Cameron Johnson uh, in in this preseason that I thought was interesting, and I think it could be really interesting with his development going forward. He could easily, by the end of the season, be one of the most important guys on this team just because of what he can do offensively that other guys can't. And he's not like he's not a terrible defender. He he showed it again in preseason. He's going to be in the right place. 
He might not be strong enough to do stuff, but he's going to be in the right place. Did you notice anything from Cameron Johnson, Kellen, in these preseason, the two preseason games that he played? Yeah, I did for sure. Uh, two things I wanted to mention really quick. One, uh, on Jay Crowder, I'm glad you brought up his strength because Sam Cooper, finger on the pulse, like had those Giannis clips ready in like 30 minutes once the signing happened. <laughs> if you want to if you want to go back and like see the strength of Jay Crowder and what we're talking about, go find Sam's video where he's defending Giannis in the playoffs. Like, I thought Jay Crowder was strong and then I actually watched those possessions back again. And it's like, oh man, like, yeah, yeah, he can, like, guys that can bump with Giannis and LeBron. Like, he actually, those guys exist, actually. And Kelly can't do that. Like, Kelly was great in his own right and in some ways, but the Suns just needed a defender like Jay Crowder more than they needed a Kelly Oubre. Right. For sure. And the second thing I wanted to mention was that. I kind of was talking towards the point myself, but since we just talked about it with DeAndre specifically when it comes to Chris Paul and guys kind of being elevated by Chris and young players just being so much better around him, I think we see that with the mentality with Mikel. And even if you think about just like the way that Javon and and Cameron Johnson have looked in the preseason, like it just seems like they're playing with a little bit of extra urgency and edge to their game. Uh, I've definitely noticed the Cameron Johnson stuff. I thought that Monty ran a lot for him when he was out there, yeah. specifically with the second unit. On the ball, and I, too. Yeah, and, and I think that that is uh, on purpose, and I think that that is something that in the second unit, if they're not staggering, which I well, I know we're going to talk about in that in a bit, I, I don't I don't think they will be, and I'm scared about it, but I think they're going to run a lot of Dario and Cameron Johnson stuff to make up for the fact that they don't have Chris Paul or Devin Booker Woo. on the court. And Woo. I know people are going to be excited about the Dario part. Sam, Sam just can barely contain himself over there. Um, <laughs> no, I'm scared. No, that was fear. Oh, it's fear. <laughs> okay. Fear. God, thank God. Okay, because I, I didn't. I, I didn't want to like. No. I didn't want to like subtweet you on the air personally, but <laughs> the people, the people who say like, why not just run point Dario? It's like n- no, 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 like no. no. <laughs> that is that means you don't have guards. Like you don't have ball handlers, and that right. is like you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. It, I so, wasn't a big yeah. fan of the Etwan Moore minutes at point guard in preseason. I, I don't know about <laughs> he, you guys. He's not but. a point guard, man. That was he's really not, unfair yeah. of him. Can I'm we, so can, mad that Etwan Moore, who is like such a fun player to watch, just got like so many fans already dislike him. Like, I, and I'm not saying they're wrong with the way he played. He didn't play well at all. But like, that's just not Etwan's game at all. What we saw. Yeah. Um, and to Cameron Johnson, just like close out on that. I do believe that like the second unit is going to be a lot of them and. I just wonder how much Cameron Johnson specifically, how much do you want to go from a player? It's interesting because if he does have more potential, you want to see it out. But at the same point, you still kind of want this guy. You don't want to box him into being a specialist. But, like, do we want you taking four mid-range jumpers a game or four right. more threes a game? Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah, right. It, I want seven. I want the mid-range jumpers I saw in preseason to be to be clear because those were two dribble pull-ups, and if you're an excellent shooter like he is, I will take those every day of the week. Like the, those are fine, but like him actually creating and pick and roll and stuff, it's like eh, like like Sam getting nervous. Like eh, it, yeah, I he's he's good, and I think he's going to he could be very good. But now it's like how why are you? Eh, eh. <laughs> it's something to watch. It's definitely something to watch. Sam, you had something to say there, right? Uh, well, I wanted to segue to the next conversation where we could talk about my deepest fear. Oh, is that the Chris Paul? Is this uh, how many games would Chris Paul play? Is that the question you're talking about, Sam? <laughs> yes, and, and some of the staggering stuff that goes with it. 
Yeah, I think this the Chris Paul conversation is interesting for multiple reasons. First of all, there's not a lot of analysis to do with just hoping he's going to be healthy. And, you know, how many games he he will play will ultimately have the largest effect on how good this team could be throughout the regular season. Uh, you know, if they make the playoffs, they got to focus on him being healthy in the playoffs at the end of the season. But I think beyond that, we're wondering, right, can the Suns find a solution for the minutes when he's off the court? You know, will that be staggering? Can Cameron Payne effectively fill out that backup point guard role, maybe with uh, the other Cameron Johnson and Dario Saric on the court? It's it's kind of an interesting thing, Sam. Though, what do you, what do you have to say about that, Sam? Yeah, I mean, just based on what I what I've seen in preseason, guys, it's it's nerve wracking. I know we didn't see Dario, but I like Dario, and I think Dario will excel. I don't know about Excel. I think Dario can do well with elbow touches and kind of trying to play make a little bit, but he's not. Uh, it's, I don't know. I'm at a loss. Um, here's what I'll say. That <laughs> oh, the Suns, no. Here's, oh, no. well, here's what I'll say. Like, the, the Suns have an open roster spot. They've got two open roster spots technically with the with the two-way that they have, but, but they just waived Jonathan Motley, who did not look good in the preseason last night. And I think the immediate understanding that I saw was that, um, at least online, was that they might be looking uh, at another big. And I certainly understand that because our big rotation, if Saric goes down, is kind of a mess. And I think the preseason showed that as well. But also, there are some decent guards still left on the free agent market. And I almost wonder if, like, uh, you know, there's someone you could get. Like, I almost wonder if there's someone you could get that would be better at getting into the teeth of the defense than campaign. Like... Shabazz Napier and none of these guys are none of these guys are really going to save you right if you have both Paul and Booker off the floor but just based on what I saw the Etuan Moore minutes at that point guard in the preseason um I don't know what do you guys think I just that there has to be there has to be something better <laughs> out there can yeah. we go ahead yeah, but at the same time, you've already gone through training camp and preseason now, and I don't want to say that's a reason not to sign someone, but at the same time, I don't think you're going to be bringing in anyone who should be getting minutes over those guys i i think that you're you're already doing so much it, it was very clear in the first two games that these groups need need a whole lot of time to um figure out this offense because i, I think the thing that i kept coming back to was that not that last year was a complete aberration at the start but they got they were fortunate to click into place as well as they did offensively considering how many new pieces they had new coaching staff all that kind of stuff the point five stuff just came rather seamlessly for them. And usually it's just not like that. And you just need a little bit more time. And that's what we were seeing in the preseason, at least. And it looks like they, they started to really figure it out in the last two games. At least the starters did for sure. As far as the bench, I mean, it comes back to staggering. But the question is when Chris Paul's out and when you're playing all these back-to-backs and you're dealing with this mm-hmm. weird schedule that's very compact, who do you start alongside him? I'm starting to lean in in favor of what we saw on Friday, which I never would have really said, which was Javon um, starting and just going full point book. Cause I, I yeah. think you really need to reserve those. I completely, the weird thing is I always am the one who brings it up to Monty, the, the point book stuff, but I try to bring it up in a way where like, I know I keep asking about this and I totally understand why you're not doing it because he's a very valuable piece of this franchise and you don't want to bring too much on him. But it would really help if he started doing this more. Like, I've asked that kind of question like 30 times to him probably now, the poor guy. Um, but I do think that there's this, this is kind of like the point now where you do really need to fully unlock that and just fully give him that load, which I think he will be ready for. 
just because of the minutes that he's going to be playing with Chris Paul that are going to be able to take some off of him. Um, and most importantly, I just don't think you have that other point guard there. I yeah. I think campaign absolutely deserves the job at the start of the season, and we'll see how he goes. But I expect a Tyler Johnson-esque yank uh, for him in that job wow. if he does not – if he doesn't get there, if if it's not oh, 10, yeah, sure. 11, 12, 13 games in. Oh, I didn't mean like level of performance. I, or no, I, I, I thought you were saying you were projecting that campaign would be Tyler Johnson-esque, which I was oh, going to no, say would be no. kind of harsh. I, I, no, I meant because like Tyler only got, gosh, like what was it, like five or six games before he was mm-hmm. he was gone as the third yeah. guard? Like it was quick. Yeah, um, well, he was bad. He was he was bad. He was right. bad. Uh, but I 26% think that, from three at that and, point. And, and I'm worried because I like – Javon next to Point Book is a fantastic starting lineup. I love that starting lineup, but but after that, uh, yes. you know, like there's just there you got to fill in the gaps with something. And I don't I, can either of you convince me, or is it just very obvious to everyone that if Chris Paul goes down, that's the season? Because oh, I, I just that were, like okay, I thought you were going to say it was very obvious that Jalen Smith was the wrong pick. Please continue. Oh no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I Damn didn't bring it, it up somehow. We were gonna we up. were gonna go a whole episode without talking about Jalen Smith, and you had to ruin it. I'm I'm sorry. He's he's looked <laughs> fine in the preseason. I love the aggression off the dribble. Just playing with a five, please. Oh yeah, there was moments in the game where he did the right thing, and then there was another big in the paint, and it's like, yeah, it'd be nice if there wasn't. Wait, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're like, why is this other guy here? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's as simple as simple as that. Everything yeah. that makes you good and useful at a four is amplified when you play the five if you're capable of doing it. But, you know, the worry about him not being strong enough right now is real. He, he doesn't look strong enough to play the five right now. So he's he's a little bit in between that. And I think I think the coaching staff is confident in the strides they've made with DeAndre Ayton. And they seem to be talking up the work ethic of Jalen Smith. And, and, you know, they seem to be confident that they can get him to a place where he could... Yeah. I think it's a much more interesting conversation to have like halfway through the year. Um, If if Halliburton looks good right away in Sacramento and if Jalen Smith is kind of struggling to find minutes, it becomes an interesting discussion in that should the Suns have drafted for need, essentially? Now you can argue because clearly they did not think that Tyrese Halliburton was a better prospect than Jalen Smith because if they were – that that's clearly what they were going with here because like the need argument, I don't think it's really close. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's like, that's where the interesting discussion becomes. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. And and obviously I'm not saying that, but like I I'm the person who said the sons, like I will be absolutely flummoxed if this isn't the guy that they love. And I guess I was wrong Um, (laughs) because I thought, I thought he was perfect for them. And and I think that these types of minutes, do you guys think Langston Galloway can run point? There were a couple moments in the Lakers game where me and Maybe Dwayne Rankin bit. looked at each other after he missed a pass, and we were like, "Uh-oh!" Like if they're no, gonna run I don't. Bit point that should that won't. <laughs> I work. mean, I think he's more of a three than a one. If we're going somewhere else besides the two, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think don't... you could run some some Langston point guard lineups that have like a ninety-five offensive rating instead of eighty-five. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna, they're gonna be, they're gonna be pretty bad, guys. Well, the least I, I, I like, bring, I bring such negative dark clouds over every podcast I come. Well, no, but, 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 yeah. but, but think about the context of these are the looming questions where they're essentially problems. Where if the Suns can't figure this stuff out, they are not. And the last question will be about their ceiling. So if they figure everything out, then they'll reach their ceiling. But if they can't figure this stuff out, they are not going to reach their ceiling. That's why we're bringing it up. Well, Sam, I think that there's a. 
there's a calibration that Suns fans need to get used to now where when we're talking about things that the Suns need to fix, it's the difference between being a good team and a great team. Whereas before it was like the diff- at, at one point it was the difference between being an NBA team and being a G League team, and then it's kind of shifted to being a, a, a okay team to a good team. Now we're we're like on the margins of being a great team. They had the potential to be a great team. So nitpicking is is kind of the job of podcasters. <laughs> Ultimately, you kind of have to nitpick stuff. But right now we're talking about what they could do in order to be great. Which I think for Suns fans, it's a calibration that they're not used to yet. You know, we've seen how the conversation has gone completely off the rails about DeAndre Ayton online relatively quickly. I can tell you that I expect something to happen with Jalen Smith (laughs) at some point this season where that can go similarly if things are not going exactly how people want them to go. Uh, But it's just a little bit of a different calibration for us. I I will say, you know, with Chris Paul. The, mo- the most important thing is that he stays healthy. I think the biggest risk that you took for if you're James Jones when you make the trade for Chris Paul is can he stay healthy? Now, it's a weird season. It's a condensed season. There's more back-to-backs. There's already, I think, nine back-to-backs or something like that <laughs> in this first half of the season already. So, Or maybe less than that. It, there's just quite a bit already. Uh, to the point where they really have to think about how they're going to play him. Are they going to play him every game? Is he going to go out there and play... As we all listen to that JJ Redick podcast, I hope, with Chris Paul. If you didn't, you should. Mm-hmm. And he basically said if he feels good, he's going to play. He's not the type of guy who wants to rest. You know, uh, maybe he's subtweeting, if you will, Kawhi Leonard or, or Paul George or whoever, the Clippers organization as a whole, in a sense. You know, if anyone's allowed to subtweet them, it's Chris Paul. But, you know, th- there's an element of can they and should they keep him out of games if he's feeling okay to try to make sure that he can extend the amount of games he plays towards the end of the season. If there's any fear for that, it seems yeah. like they were extra careful with him in the Lakers game. They held him out with a sore ankle. Yeah, I'm right? like that- to, to add something to what Sam was saying, I think it was a really great way that you put it, Sam, because I think if they don't figure this third guard out thing, and it ties into exactly what Mike was just saying, because if they're going to play Chris Paul a certain night just because they're not sure about the play behind him more so than like his health, that's another like not good way for that way to go, obviously. But I think rightfully so the conversation around the Suns and how much they've improved has gone in the right spot in terms of looking at them in the West, which is like, they are they they feel like as close to a lock for a playoff team as they as they can be meaning like a team that has gone from their status last season to this status next season which is they've got a lot of improvement to do but everything is there for them to be a five six seven four three whatever seed in the west but as sam is saying if this is the type of thing that you can't figure out now you're in that 7-8 zone. Now you're looking at John Morant in Memphis and the way that he's looked so far, and you're like, is this dude like going to make All-NBA next year? Like with the way that, like, And then you're seeing how Zion looks like 85 90%, and you're like, oh, is Brandon Ingram going to be worth the max too if Zion looks like this? Is Eric Bledsoe going to mm-hmm. care? Is, oh, they've got Steven Adams. You, you get what I'm saying? Like now, yeah. we're, now yeah. we go from are we better than Dallas and Portland mentality for the Suns to are we going to be able to beat out New Orleans? And like that's the type of shift that can happen with this type of, I don't want to say problem, but if this becomes a problem for the team, that's <sighs> the type of shift that can occur. Because we can agree, like when Chris Paul is playing for this team, like they're – they're one of the three, four best teams in the West easily. But when he's not playing and you are forced to really rely on a on a backup guard group that 
we do not have a lot of reason to be confident in so far, it drastically alters where they can go because uh, what I'm trying to get at here is uh, with like the QA, I was talking about Memphis and New Orleans, like there are 10, 11, 12 teams in the West. And if it, it, it can turn a certain direction very quickly uh, uh, for them, unfortunately, because of the way the conference is outlined this year. And bouncing the weird stuff, season that exists. Bouncing this stuff off, you guys, I mean, I can just sense the anxiety. Like there's so much anxiety. And if we're feeling it, I know the fans, the, the listeners are, are feeling it too. Like, let's just be honest. There is going to be one point during this season when the Suns drop like three or four games in a row. And Suns Twitter is going to be on fire. It's going to be it's <laughs> going to be very bad. I don't know if it's going to be at the beginning of the season, the middle of the season or the end of the season, but if they go through a rough spell, yeah. um man, it's going to be it's going to be chaos. Let me ask you this. How much better would this team be right now if we didn't have that first round pick? If we traded that first round pick that was Jalen Smith to Detroit and got Luke Kennard? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I would, he. I would have called. Them I mean, I know the playoffs to give. I know hypothetical hypothetical what ifs aren't really useful, right? But just yeah. like, man, how much that, better would this? That's my short answer. I would have said that they will make the playoffs, and I, you guys know how I am with the Suns and like them needing to like be doing the good things good before I say those types of things. But I, yeah, I would say they were lock. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say, and I they would have definitely taken taken that pick. It's you know it's interesting though because with, with Luke Kennard, it's it's not really a question about what he's doing right now. It's how healthy can he be throughout the season. I think that's the reason why that trade didn't go through. How hard is it being a GM, man? James Jones had an incredible offseason, and here we are saying like he didn't really do that good of a job at this one little <laughs> yeah. thing that may completely tank their season. But yeah. he had like the second, third best offseason. Like, I think yeah. the Lakers probably are number one. I'm sorry, just because of how great they reloaded. But after He that, brought it on himself. Sucks. He brought it on himself, and I'm not saying it's not hard to be a GM. But James Jones brought it on himself when he brought in a 36-year-old Chris Paul who has like yeah. this legacy to maintain because yeah. that's when the expectations elevated. If we still had Suns fans were cool with running it back. If we still had Ricky Rubio mm. and, uh, and Kelly Oubre, what? What was that? What was that sound? <laughs> oh, I mean, I, okay, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking <laughs> about like what we know how most Suns fans felt before right. the trade went down. Most Suns fans were just cool with running it back going into free agency we've got money to spend see what we can do make incremental improvements and maybe we'll make the playoffs next year but then we got chris paul which was a genius idea you know i i do believe that um but as soon as that happened now all of a sudden it's not about being a seven eight seed it's about being a four five seed so every little move on the margin that james jones makes is even more heavily scrutinized that's just how it works i, I just want to say for the record uh that anxiety that you were sensing i do not have I, I'm actually pretty fairly confident in this roster. Uh, as as much as there are little things that uh, need to be fixed, I think there are sort of enough tools in the toolbox for a guy like Monty Williams to be able to to manage. So much of that confidence, though, comes from Devin Booker and who Devin Booker is and what his capabilities allow you to do on on the court. And I think that's the next conversation we have to have here. Is there another leap in Devin Booker? Is that possible, first of all, because he's been so incredible? And what will that even look like? From my perspective, I'll just start here. There were things that he was doing already in the preseason, and this happens every year. He comes into every season, and it's like, wow, where did that come from? Is that new? Does he look faster? Is he even more in shape? This is a conversation I feel like we have at the beginning of every single season, and I felt it again 
this season and there's there's the expectations are good for a guy like Devin Booker he tends to rise to the occasion uh, in every single way so personally I think there is another leap capable I've talked about it before I think there is sort of a Kevin Durant season in uh, Devin Booker I'm going to keep repeating that because I think that's real and that's the type of thing where you know he, he now is in the MVP conversation if they're good enough to keep it there and win enough games to keep him there but I think there absolutely is one and that means it's the small things. It means maybe getting one or two more free throws a game. It means increasing his three-point percentage just by a little bit, increasing his overall efficiency by just a little bit by increasing that three-point percentage in those free throws. And um, the playmaking's there. He can he can tune down his fouls a little bit. He can tune down his turnovers a little bit. And I think those are all things that are possible because he's the type of guy I think that's proven to be able to work on those things. Kellen, what do you think? Devin Booker. I know we're all big fans of Devin Booker here, uh, but what I'm do you not. think? <laughs> Shut up. I don't know if he contributes to winning basketball. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Kellen, wouldn't that be amazing? Kellen, go if, ahead. If one of us was like, "Wait, is he good?" Like he'll turn, <laughs> you know, just like huge out of nowhere. Yeah, he's he's gonna make another leap. He has uh, five straight years now. Uh, this is gonna be the sixth year. Um, who's a better? What does that than mean? How good right can now? he be? Who, yeah. who's a who's a, who's a better scorer than him right now in the league? Can what does K- score KD? mean? Score score is a funny word. Like, is score like getting points or is score the ways he gets his shots? Getting getting points. Okay, so yeah, Durant. So Curry, like Harden is Harden. Mm, Kyrie is yeah. It just depends. I think what he looks is he like. Top three. Uh, Lillard. I don't know. Yeah, he might Lillard? be top three. Dame. Dame might top be. Four? Dame. Dame's a good one. Yeah, I think Dame might be guys, but still, he you know he's up there for sure. Just like again, we're talking a lot about preseason because it's just happened. And we haven't seen basketball in a while, but like some of the degree of difficulty things that he does, like consistently now that we just take for granted. And I, I myself find my, I find myself not doing that necessarily. I still like laugh at every like four yeah. shots that he hits because of how ridiculous Absolutely. there. I felt like the degree of difficulty was higher on those, and that was the thing where in that third or fourth year, I think it was his third year, whenever I was saying that he should have been an all-star, even when that wasn't even a conversation point at all, it was because he kept having these games where he was 10 of 19, but that was such a difficult 10 for 19 that he was getting because of defensive attention, the shots that he had to hit, whatever. Um, So I I just think that he's going to take that type of leap too, where it's like one of the best shooting guards in the game, like last year, one of the best, or two years ago now, just one of the best guards in the league last year. Now I think like, this year he will certifiably be one of the five best scorers in the league. I don't know if that'll mean he's top five in points per game or whatever, but I think that kind of leap is the one that he's going to take, and obviously Chris Paul is going to help with that. And I also think that it's just going to be a lot easier for him to get back to maybe even like seven, eight assists a game. What did he get last year, six? Six, yeah, six, and, six and, a half, and a half, I think. Six and a half. He's going to get at least seven this year probably, maybe even eight. That's interesting. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. What do you think, Sam? Man, I think he does have a small leap in him. But I think the reality is Devin Booker's going to get like 10% better. But the narrative is going to be that he's gotten like 40% better. And I think that's the part that <laughs> yeah. like, as Suns fans, we embrace it. We're going to embrace it because it's, it, you're already hearing them when they were on ESPN the other day. How wonderful is it to hear national commentators say such nice things about the Suns? So we're going to embrace it. But on the other hand, it's a little bit annoying because it's like, well... That's not entirely true. He was already really damn good last season and the season before. But it's going to happen. And so, yeah, I I do think Devin's going to get a little bit better. Just to throw the stats out there one more time, he averaged 30 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists per 36 in preseason. That is absurd. And I know we only saw Chris Paul for a little bit, but it surprised me. 
I expected CP3 to be more uh, assertive in creating his own shot, and he really wasn't um, in preseason. He was he was mostly focused on finding his teammates, um, which maybe gave me a little bit more faith that um, he could boost Booker's scoring totals this year too. I just want to say for the record, he didn't play a lot of fourth quarters. You know, uh, with Chris Paul, you know, we all, I guess we only really saw one game here, but that's something he did in OKC. He shot a lot more in the fourth quarter. He shot a lot more as the game went along, and that's what made them one of the better clutch teams in the NBA. I imagine once he starts playing out the entire games that, you know, we're going to see a lot more of him looking for his own shot. But, you know, to your point, Sam, with Devin Booker and what he can do, maybe not. Maybe he won't need to as much. Maybe he'll be more content to find guys. And, Kellen, something you talked about, how difficult you know he'd have those 10 for 19 or 10 for 18 games or whatever it was and how difficult those shots are this will be the first time we're seeing him with like a consistent group of high quality NBA teammates there's you know there's probably six or seven guys that could start on an NBA team if we're counting Cam Johnson and we're counting Dario Saric on this team now that's not really been the case for a while and the level of those guys are higher than they were even last season so there's a lot more guys than that who could start on like Cleveland yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, Langston Galloway started some games last Javon season. Each Carter. one more can probably start in some teams too at some point. Marquise Chris started on Cleveland. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know the what he's surrounded by and how that can increase his production and his level of efficiency, or like you said, Kellen, even his assists. He's he led the league in potential assists. That's a weird thing to me that he he led the league in potential assists last year. Or it was the year before, I think. And, you know, that's because guys weren't making shots. Now guys are more likely to make shots. And that'll be an interesting thing going forward. Uh, yeah, so I guess we are all, all on the same page there. There is another leap possible with Devin Booker, and that puts him in the upper echelon, the absolute, as LeBron James said, uh, future superstar Devin Booker. That's how he described that. By the way, that clip of LeBron James talking about the Suns, uh, the way he says, my guy, James Jones makes me laugh every time I see it because there's an element of LeBron James is now trying to take credit for how good the Suns are going to be going forward. And that's just such good LeBron like legend making. He's very good at increasing uh, I, you know, his, I t- his story. I took it as shade from the Tyson Chandler thing. You remember <laughs> oh, yeah. that? No way. Yeah. Really? So he's making a joke about that. You think the, so when Tyson Chandler got like released by the Suns and then got yeah. immediately signed by the Lakers, everyone said that James Jones was doing a favor for his buddy right. LeBron. And that turned yeah. into like a news cycle. So I think right. that, that was kind of a shot at him like being like, hey, turns out he's not doing favors for me and he knows how to build a basketball team. That's how I took the shade <laughs> at least. I loved it. I love LeBron. So I like that. I like yeah, that. And that, season, that season Tyson Chandler was supposed to transform the Lakers defense, right? <laughs> All this those season, they missed fan the playoffs. Tweets we found in the first week of him playing. Oh, glorious! Yeah. I think it was a funny thing where Suns fans were the only people saying that this is not a favor, uh, guys. We actually watched <laughs> Tyson Chandler, and he's he's done. Uh, his career is over, but somehow he still managed to end the season last season on a roster. You know, he was the guy that was helping sneak in Daniel House's. Uh, I don't know what he snuck in, I guess. <laughs> Man, that's just the Lakers effect, though. Like, I th- I forget who it was, but someone brought it up on Twitter. How much more attention is Marc Gasol? Like, how many more Marc Gasol highlights are we going to see on Twitter this year <laughs> with him objectively worse than he's been in, like, the past five seasons uh, yeah. versus when he was he was playing for all these small markets just because of L.A.?
Yeah, I mean, if Taylor Horton Tucker played for the Suns, nobody would have heard his name right now. Yeah. That's, that's if Mikael Bridges play. played for the Lakers, could you guys imagine? <laughs> could you guys imagine? He'd be billed as the next Kawhi. He really would. Yeah, that's true. Last question, and I think the Devin Booker question leads well into this. What is this team's ceiling? If things go well, or maybe if they sort of are in between going well and going badly, maybe uh, DeAndre Ayton still has an off game every five games, or um, Chris Paul misses 10 games, or something like that happens. I think there's sort of a range that we can talk about here. We don't really necessarily have to talk about worst-case scenarios, because worst case scenarios are often the best players get hurt and then they miss the playoffs. And there's not a lot of analysis, I think, to be done for a lot of worst case scenarios. Absolute ceiling. What do you think that, you know, it's interesting. 538 just released their projections. They gave the Suns a 7% chance of making the finals, which I thought was just, I it shocked me. I'll be honest. I completely did not expect to see something like that. I did think there was sort of a feeling for me that maybe... Suns fans were underrating the possibility of the team being at the very least good enough at the trade deadline to try to make some moves to try and push towards the finals because of uh, just the combination of two high, high, high quality shot creators, which is what you need to succeed in the playoffs. Um, so maybe, I, but that 7% I think shocked me. So Kellen, what do you think? Western Conference Finals. Uh, I, I think that... There is such a there is such a gap to making the playoffs for the first time to making the finals for the first time. Um, shout out shout out to Chris Paul. He's he's still he's still looking for that him, himself. So I, I think that the Suns have so many guys that have not been in the playoffs before. It it is it it is Dario's like Philly experience, I believe, and then it's just Crowder and Paul. I'm pretty sure. Wow, um, I might be forgetting someone. Oh, Damian Jones, of course. Who could forget all those <laughs> champions? Etwan, Etwan's probably been in it, right? I, I, yeah, I would assume. I think he was Let on one of those teams. Um, outside not of that, like though, a good team. No, yeah. Outside of that, though, I mean, Chris Paul is the only guy who has experience as like a guy, and I think you can qualify Jay Crowder for that last year um, with what he had to do with Miami and like the defensive assignments he had to take on. I think that was just a big enough um, role for him to like earn that, but. That's just a whole nother level, man. And and I think that even with how we feel about book, because I think I think this question has to do with three things. I, I think it has to do with the third guard thing, which we just talked about. Let's just say like that works out. However it works out, it works out. Chris Paul's health and just how good he is when he's healthy. Is it more in the OKC direction or is it more in the last two years of Houston direction? If he plays more like he did in OKC last year, second, third team, all NBA, you get that. Uh, and then obviously like the big one is DA. If DA makes a big enough leap, um, if he turns uh, the page on what we were just talking about with him, I think that you're looking at a team that is top, um, like I said, like top two, top three, top four in the West, and then they could certainly make the Western Conference Finals. I just, I, I want to say Finals because that's how much I believe in, in, in Devin and how good he is, but I just keep thinking about the Lakers and LeBron James and Anthony Davis and just what they did last year. And then even if it's not them, if it's like the Clippers or the Nuggets, like you just think about not only the quality of like players that they have and like those stars, but guys who have already been there before, like what Jamal Murray did last year now has him in that group where he's really proven himself in the playoffs that he can win playoff series. Jokic has done that already. 
Obviously, Kawhi speaks for himself. He can make Paul George jokes all you want or whatever, but Kawhi on his own is certainly in there. Uh, and then, like, the Lakers just did it. So for that reason alone, and, and then Dame with Portland, same thing. So I, I think for that reason alone, I, I just can't say finals necessarily. But, yeah, Western Conference finals, I think that's fair. What do you think, Sam? Well, first of all, I want to correct myself quickly and put some respect on Etuan Moore's name. He made the second round. I looked it up. And uh, as a 32-point-per-game starter for the Pelicans, that was two years ago. So congrats to him. But uh, to How answer your points? question. Oh, that uh, was 32. They, that was when 32, CJ and Dame were done. That's right. Yes, yes. It's when they swept the Blazers and yeah. then got spanked by the Warriors in the second round. Um, 32 minutes per game. Okay. 11, 11, did I say points? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 32 minutes per game, 11 points per game. But he was a starter. He was a starting shooting guard on that team. Shot 36% from deep in the, in the playoffs. Anyway. Um, I'm right there with Kellen. It's like, I could see them finishing with the second seed in terms of regular season records. I don't think they're going to leapfrog the uh, the Lakers, but I think maybe the Clippers are not... I, I, I think the Nuggets got worse pretty clearly, and maybe the Clippers load manage enough and, and don't care enough about their regular season record that you could slip into second. Once you actually start talking about playoff series, though, it's exactly those three teams that you have to worry about. Um, you know, like, they're the only three... They're really the only three that you have to worry about. I just don't think Golden State, obviously Golden State has um, is stacked with guys who have that playoff experience, but I just don't think they have the talent to get there and put themselves in that position in the first place, not with basically just Curry by himself. Um, and I don't know. I'm trying to think, is there any other team that scares me? Utah doesn't scare me. We've talked no. about this before. Not at all. Uh, Portland's, Portland? I guess Portland's been to the Western Conference Finals before. So, like, if you stack up Portland against Phoenix and Phoenix doesn't have that experience in a playoff series, mm. yeah, they would make you sweat. But I honestly don't think there's enough talent on Portland's roster either where it's like they're just a given to make the second rounds and beyond. You know, like, they're not that good. Um, right. CJ, CJ, as your number two still, cannot be that good of a team. Um so yeah, it's really it really just comes down to those three teams. I think they could make the Western Conference Finals. It's not likely, but that is probably the ceiling of this team. If Portland is really bad defensively, we have to consider that maybe there is something to learn from the preseason games, by the way, uh, because they were really bad. Uh, the What you need in the playoffs, what you need to succeed in the playoffs, or even in general, just the NBA is high-quality shot creators that can create their own shot from anywhere on the court and create shots for other people. The Suns have two of those guys. There are not very many teams in the NBA that have two of those guys that are as good at basketball as the two guys on the Suns are. There's, of course, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the best team. That's the team that won the finals. It's no coincidence that they have two of the best guys at creating shots for themselves and for other people, LeBron James being possibly the greatest player of all time beyond that like if you stack up the rest of the the western conference teams it's hard to really say that there's any team that has two guys that are as good as chris paul and devin booker at the things that you need to succeed in the playoffs it's unfair to say that that means that they have a final ceiling i think that's a fair thing to say uh kellen and both sim uh, said it it's fair it's it's unfair to put those types of expectations on a team do I think it's absolutely possible? Do I think that there's a way for things to line up properly for this team to make the finals at the at some point this season? Yeah, there is a there is a path. There is a path. I think the path probably would mean trading for other guys that are sort of playoff 
ready and could compete this season. And maybe they will do that. I, I think a lot of what this team is going to be looking at at the trade deadline is going to be really, really, really interesting. And, of course, we're going to monitor that because what they have in those two guys, you can build something around. So it's fair to actually look at that and say, what can they do? Western Conference Finals, I think, is absolutely fair in the regular season. I would say three seed is probably there. Could they win enough games to get first or second seed? Possibly. I think things would have to break in a really weird way for the rest of the Western Conference for that to happen. Uh, But I think three seed is like a realistic high ceiling for them in the regular season. But I really truly believe they're they're built for the playoffs in in ways that other teams maybe necessarily aren't. Uh, those two guys, are, you know, Utah, signing Rudy Gobert for $40 million, I don't blame them. I think it's probably the right decision for their team right now because it's right for next season. Like, it's the right thing to do for where the team's going to be at next season. Beyond that, it's tough to look at their team as a legitimate threat, say, for the finals without one other guy that can do the types of things that Donovan Mitchell does. Mm-hmm. Rudy Gobert will never be that guy. You can't just give him the ball. Those are the most expensive things in the NBA, as I constantly say. I get why they gave Rudy Gobert the money they gave him, but that makes me less scared of them going forward. It well, makes me happy that and Utah as, gave that money to them. And as long as we're going there, that's to, to uh, talk about a team that's probably going to be even better than them in the regular season. That's the knock on Dallas, too. Right. Who's creating offense outside of Luka on a consistent basis. Exactly. They're, I mean, they're the entire team is on his back in a way that is not really the case with any other team. And, you know, even to an extent, I think the Denver Nuggets, they're going to win a ton of games. And I think they're a fascinating case where they do have two guys that can do that. So they're a little bit, it's fair to be afraid of them. It's about whether or not what we saw from Jamal Murray in the bubble can be extended out into the regular season and beyond. And, and of course, for all teams, how healthy they can be at the end of the season. Yeah, I think I think the Suns are built for the playoffs on like unlike almost any other team in the West, except they don't have playoff experience. Like, that's the exactly. only real part because they're going to be, like, really rugged to play against as we kind of picked up on with the Crowder signing. Like, they're just going to have all these guys that are agitators and, like, shot creation just having a big man like DeAndre that can swing games physically the way that he can, they're so built for playoff basketball besides the fact that they don't have any playoff experience. So, like, if they if they can just get really well acclimated in, like, a first-round matchup and stuff, I can see, like, the narrative around them being like, this is a team no one wants to come up against when, in fact, like, that is true. No one is going to want to come yeah. up. Yeah. No I know no it's imp- I know this is impossible, but it really just makes you wish that Chris Paul was like two years younger <laughs> so that yeah. he could grow up a little bit with these young guys a little bit more. And like, because, you know, the idea is they're going to get there. They're going to get their feet wet this year. They're going to get the playoff experience. But is Chris Paul, you know, when's the drop off coming? Is it next season once everyone else takes a step up, but he finally takes that step down? It's just a little bit unfortunate timing, but obviously, you know, still amazing to have him on this roster in the first place. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. And it, and ultimately, like long-term looking forward, we're not really ready to have this conversation yet, but uh, ultimately, Devin Booker needs another one of those guys after Chris Paul to be there on the team if we want this team to succeed at the highest possible level. And, you know, to, to your point at the beginning of this conversation, Kellen, maybe that's what they should have been looking for in the draft. I'm not sure that there was a guy that can do those types of things, even Tyrese Halliburton, for as good as he is, like shot creation for himself. Yeah. Grant Riller. Interesting. They could have taken Grant Riller. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's so Riller. Bring it up, Sam. <laughs> I mean, Aunt Riller under Chris Paul. We all wanted to see it. But 
ultimately, I think that's, that that wants to get a laugh high. out of David Nash in case he's listening. <laughs> we're all very high on the ceiling of this team. It's very clear, and and what they do is so dependent on in the guys individually reaching their own personal ceilings. And, and I think it's going to be interesting. I think obviously the biggest conversation we're going to be having, we're setting them all up right here in this podcast, is likely going to be about the minutes they play, the lineups that they play with Chris Paul and Devin Booker going forward and what they do if Chris Paul sits or is out for a few games. That's going to be the biggest conversation going forward. I'm very excited about this. Kellen Olson, thank you so much for joining us. This is obviously going to be a long episode, uh, so I appreciate you spending this much time with us. Obviously, follow Kellen Olson on Twitter. You probably already do. Read his stuff at ArizonaSports.com. Listen to the Empire of the Suns podcast. Kellen, is there anything else that you would like to plug? Yeah, one thing. Uh, I got to talk to Willie Green for about 10 minutes about Chris Paul, and I'm going to have a piece going up before the start of the season. So it should be like Tuesday? Uh, I don't know like how in-depth it's going to be, but I got to talk to Willie about Chris for 10 minutes. Obviously, he played with him in uh, New Orleans under Monty and then played with him again uh, with the Clippers. So I got a couple good stories. Wow. Oh, wow. Can't wait to see that. Thank you so much for joining us. Basketball, real basketball, in just a few days. We'll be back after that first game, I'm sure. Case in point, like this morning, me and DeAndre were upstairs by the coach's offices in a in a uh, one of those really nice rooms we have here. They they were up there watching film an hour before practice, just those two. And um, you, know, you can't you can't pay for that, you know, to have a guy like Chris sit down with DeAndre and just look at film and talk and, and teach and that kind of thing and that's that's the culture driving stuff that we talk about that that's that's a huge component of our culture sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.